Welcome in to another edition of Cattails Podcast, the Weber State Athletics Podcast. I'm Paul Grew, along with Weber State Athletic Director Jerry Bovey. Jerry, before we start, we want to mention that Weber State app is out, the mobile app. Make sure fans download that for Apple or for Google. It's uh, free and has all the information on the Wildcats. Today we are joined, really, by a Wildcat legend. It's Dick Mata. How are you? Better than can be expected. Okay, good. We are super excited. And watch the development the development that has taken place on this campus. It's, it's hard to believe that uh, there were four little buildings. That's where it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we had a lot of our classes and everything down on the 25th Street yep. uh, gym, and that's where we had to practice. Amazing. We are going to hear some great stories. If you're not familiar with Coach Mata, just a quick reference. He uh, uh, was the coach at Weber State for eight seasons, starting in the junior college days and then transitioned for six years in the Division One era, and we're going to get into all those stories. And after he left Weber State, he went to the NBA for 25 years as a head coach with the NBA. And coached for 25 years with almost 2,000 games in the NBA. It's a lot of games, Coach. Well, uh, probably played half of them over after we'd lost. <laughs> you played at night. So. You know? so, Paul, you when I first got the job here, I went up to Bear Lake and went to the bed and breakfast and spent a couple hours with Coach and – on, on his wallet there, there's a little plaque about, and it shows all the logos, all the teams he coached with, and all the wins. And I said, wow, coach, this is pretty amazing. A lot of wins here. And he goes, a lot of losses go with those wins. That's what you said, losses. too. I've heard you say you over a 1,000 losses. You're fourth all-time in losses. And I once heard you say you had to be a really good coach to lose that many games, right? Well, I remember one time uh, Hot Rod Hundley uh, interviewed me and would uh, broken like some, uh, I don't know, if, uh, and he said, it's amazing uh, how many wins you've had. And I said, you know what's really amazing? I have as many losses and still have a job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you won an NBA title with the Washington Bullets in 1978 as well. So we're going to get into all these stories. Really excited to talk to you, with you about it. But I'm going to start in an odd place. I'm going to start the time you left Weber State. And you were kind of just telling us about this. You'd coached for eight years at Weber State, and you had an offer to go to the NBA. So yeah, what happened? Well, the... Uh, we were playing uh, Panama uh, University in, in, down in Texas, and uh, they had a guy by the name of, uh, oh, I can't even think of his name, Otto Moore. He was a 7-2, and he was projected to be the number one choice in the NBA upcoming NBA draft, and we were playing him here, and the owner and general manager, a dual capacity, Dick Klein, uh, wanted to see Otto Moore play. So he got tickets and flew out here, and we played Pan American, and uh, we won by about 45. And we ca- I can't remember Otto Moore. Uh, uh, he was just a, uh, he was a good player, but we just annihilated him. And that, we used to have a little room off the gym uh, f- for uh, boosters would come in after him for a, a cup of coffee or a, a Coke or a donut or something. And I used to have the players dress up in, in, suit and tie uh, and mingle with these with the boosters that you know they paid a hundred dollars and we were just trying to get our program off the ground in the community because we were basically a suburb of the University of Utah right. and we're tr- trying to get uh, well, you made the transition from junior college mentality so you were trying yeah, to pick it up yeah. and we went to the three-year independent yeah. we were NAIA then and uh, the, anyway this 
Dick Klein came in and he started uh, asking a lot of questions and looking around and talking to some of the boosters. And then he offered to take uh, uh, Dick Herbert, was a writer for the Tribune, and Phil Johnson, my assistant and I, to dinner. And we talked for about two or three hours and it had come up to about one o'clock. And I said to Phil, maybe it's time to bed check. And so we had, uh, I, I ran a pretty strict program. Uh, we had a key to their room. We'd go and knock on the door. I could spend a lot of time one-on-one uh, -on -one with a player that like that. Just make a bed check and knock on the door. And if, if they didn't answer, then I opened it. If they weren't there, then I sat on the bed. <laughs> the next day, that bed was empty. Uh, but, uh, they, were, they would leave town. Uh, but <laughs> we had... Uh, and we got this thing called APR now that makes that a little, yeah. a little different. But well, that's the way, that, that, hey, that's the way you find out who's committed to you, right? Well, the thing is that, uh, and he kept asking questions. You have bed check this, bed check that, and yeah, and then he, he uh, was gracious. And we, we went on our own way, and about uh, a month later, I get a phone call, and he said, this is Dick Klein. Can you remember me? And I said, sure. Uh, you took us to dinner. He said, uh could I get you to come and coach the Chicago Bulls? And I said, who the hell is this? <laughs> I thought it was Phil and Dick and yeah, those guys yeah, pulling my leg, you know? you know? And I said, no, who is this? He said, it's Decline, and uh, I've, I've watched your team play a few times. I've had uh, Jerry Colangelo, my scout, out uh, watching you, and I'd, I'd like you to come and coach the Chicago Bulls. And I said, no, that, I have never seen an NBA game. <laughs> I'd never seen one in person. And... Uh, he said, well, just come over and, and look. I know you've got a good team coming back and everything, but uh, we, could, we can catch a baseball game, and you can see the offices and uh, meet some of our people. And I looked at the schedule, and they were playing the Cubbies. I thought, hell, let's go to Chicago. We'd never been there before. And uh, when Janice and I landed in Chicago, you know, about that time there were only a million people in Utah. I knew half of them by name. <laughs> I, I passed more people in O'Hare Airport than I'd seen in five years in Utah. And uh, we got on, they had a big limousine for us, and they put us on, on these clover leaves. And I made the statement, I think this is probably the only place in the world where you can drive 20 minutes and not leave the scene of the accident. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> it is. And... Uh, so they put us up at the Orienton Hotel under uh, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. And I said, well, I wonder why they didn't use our name. No one knew, eh? You know, there, were, we weren't in, there wasn't a uh, of, uh, brocade of reporters or anything like that hounding us. So uh, the next day we went to the baseball game, and it was this high school team. His son was playing on <laughs> New Trier East High School, and it was raining a little bit. Uh, went to dinner with them, and they probably drank a fifth of scotch each that night and on the way home uh he he did say while we we're eating he said what happens if you if you come here and don't make it and uh, then i started to realize <laughs> i said i don't know probably steal my tent and go and leave and so that night when we got back to the hotel we looked at each other and said this, this isn't for us <clears throat> and uh, called the uh, airport and changed our reservations he picked us up the next morning and drove us to the airport, put his head in the, uh, the door of the car and said, you're going to coach for me one, one of these days. And we left. And then 
we got to deal with the new athletic So director. let's transition to that because about eight, nine years ago when I came to talk to you, first words out of your mouth was don't micromanage your coaches, and then we <laughs> went into that. So tell us a little bit about, about what was happening at that time here at Weber State. Well, our staff was very limited in numbers. And we, we all would have di- dinners, uh, different homes, uh, and we were really close-knit group. The whole athletic staff for coaches, not just, I mean, your basketball staff was limited in numbers, but you're no, talking the as whole, the whole the department. Whole staff. There were three yeah. football coaches and yeah. myself. Yeah. I didn't have an assistant. That, that was the staff. Yeah, that was the staff. And, uh, well, by then, uh, a little later, when, uh, when they, fired, they hired Sark and he got an assistant, then I got to hire an assistant. Yeah, that's how that works, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I had to give up all my classes. And I had to give up my seniority. I mean, my uh, academic rank. I was an associate professor, and uh, and Bill Miller. They wrote a letter, and I still have that letter. And they call it hazard pay. <coughs> and he put his arm around me when and I left his office. I was making seven thousand. They raised it to fourteen. Doubled it. Yeah, but Sark was making eighteen, and he and he was just new. And I'd been here seven years, and I thought, you know, that we're. We're filling our gym, and we're not making any money for the college, but at least it's interesting. And so they uh, uh, wrote this letter up, and it was called Hazard Pay. They took away my academic rank, and they took away all... I was teaching uh, kinesiology, two health classes, uh, one bowling class, and uh, uh, methods of basketball PE. And they took all those classes from me. And they, he said, as I was leaving his office, uh, President Miller said, he put his arm on my shoulder and he said, this is probably the biggest mistake you'll ever make. And I said, how's that? He said, you're giving up your academic rank and tenure. I said, Bill, if I lose five games in a row, I'm going to give it up anyway. Yeah, that's right. We're here, we're here on what we do tomorrow, not what we That's true. And our history, of, you, yeah. can't, you, can't, you can't take that history and put it in your Wheaties and expect it to maintain your life. It was kind of the start at Weber State of athletics becoming more of the professional side and transforming into this a full-time gig all the time. Yeah, when you started, you coached baseball and track and football, uh, I was the, right? When I came, I was the assistant football coach, head basketball coach, and head baseball coach. <laughs> and when Dick Williams, we hired him, he was a baseballer. Yeah. And he uh, had played, I think, in, in the minor leagues. And, uh, excuse me, if I stand thing. Fine. That's a, um, where was I? So you, 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 yeah, when Dick Williams came, you stopped yeah. coaching baseball. And I went to track. To track. Yeah, we had our first track meet was down in Grand Junction. And, uh, and as the players came to, to get in the, the uh, car to drive to Grand Junction for the meet the next day, uh, my, I had a, a kid who was a manager was running, he ran the two mile and he was also my manager. And I'd see one kid come along and he said, yeah, he's the, he's the broad jumper. And so <laughs> I introduced myself to, to the track All your team. Athletes. Yeah. So after that, I got a little smarter, and I'd get my pickup truck and load them all in the truck, take them up the mountain quite a ways, about 10 miles, and say, see you. Get Back home to campus. As, yeah, get home as soon as you can. <laughs> and that was the track meet. <laughs> That's awesome. So, 
So you decided you after you left Chicago, you decided you weren't going to take the job. Is that right? With no, the Bulls? no, we were. So we then, were, what happened? Well, then the, we got into <clears throat> a new athletic director, and I knew him, and I liked him, and I helped him get the job, and he was very professional. He, had, I, I think, he'd worked at Utah State before, and he was assistant there, and promised in our home that he would wear out seven pair of shoes because. Jack Gardner could call a kid up here and, and get him a job with Knudsen or some company here, and I couldn't make that break into the companies here. I couldn't get my kids good summer jobs. And he said he would uh, raise so much money that we would be able to get past that. And uh, so we had a, uh, we were so loose and friendly with each other. It was a little family. I'm not, I'm not kidding. We, we were best friends. And we wore uh, like janitor's clothes. They'd, they, they would wash the, we'd get them from the laundry and it'd be the tops and the bottoms mm -hmm. and, and gym shoes to class. Uh, I don't think anyone ever shirked a duty, but we didn't. I guess we weren't professional looking enough. And so, he wanted a meeting with every person on the staff, and uh, we, I went into his office, and oh, we would gone to college together. I'd helped him get the job, and I kind of sat on the edge of the desk, as loose as a goose. And he said, Coach, I wish you'd sit down. And uh, Things became more formal oh, all of a sudden. Then he wanted to know about the $75 and the lagoon tickets and that. And he said, I'll check all of that out. I know that you can't use the theater anymore. And uh, all the things that you've been doing culturally began to uh, yeah, the, become more of an issue. He wanted us to start wearing uh, civilian clothes, tie and uh, at least you didn't have to wear a jacket, but a tie and a shirt. And that wasn't us. And it wasn't Weber. Uh, and uh, and he said I'll I'll check with Walter Byers on these on the tickets. Walter Byers was the executive director Execu of the NCAA yeah, at the time, there. which today you'd never get to Mark Emmert uh, ever. No. I mean it's it's Especially a different organization. State, yeah. But he started yeah. checking in on rules, and you were starting to feel a little bit crunched. I was okay. I I just thought it was kind of weird that we were that that, that I would ask my own son to sit down while I interviewed him. You know, it's like like that. We were, we were here. Right. We were we were Weber College. You know, we were the athletics, and uh, was us against the whole world basically, and that's how we felt. And uh, no, at this time you still had an offer that had been given you, and you turned it back. Oh yeah. You were starting to feel like, hey, maybe. Oh no, I'm here. Yeah. I, I had Willie Sojourner in that. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, and I wouldn't let you know those freshmen couldn't play then; they weren't eligible. And I wouldn't let our varsity, we've had freshman practice, but Sakowitz and uh, Willie yeah. Sojourner, they could stay right with our varsity, but we didn't play each other. So I knew we had a good team coming. Right. It wasn't anything, and I just moved into a new home. We'd lived in it eight months up in Shadow Valley. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got the memo, I looked at it and said, this is not, that's the first piece of paper that ever been in my inbox. In fact, I didn't know what that, this, that little, there was two little shelves there on top of each other held by little wires. One said in and the other said out. And I didn't know, I thought they were gonna bring my lunch or something. 
First memo ever into the inbox. Ever, <coughs> ever. I picked it up and it said, to Coach Dick Mata from Athletic Director. Right. Subject, Lagoon Tickets. I've called Walter Byers and we need all receipts. And it isn't going to work. That's when I punched it and made a ball and hit. I'll take you over to that office over at Swinney's place and uh, hit the back. Uh, back just thought, if I make a basket, well, I'm out of here. Yeah. Is that what you thought? You yeah, thought it's right over there. And I said, if it goes in a hole, I'm leaving. I'm going to the Bulls. I, I, uh, it went in. I called Janice and said, pack. She said, oh, no. I said, and so I called Klein. I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, be here Thursday. So we trotted off to Chicago. Yeah, and as I remember, you told me when, when Dick Klein first asked you to take the job, you said, I got a better team at Weber State than what the Chicago Bulls had. I think I'll yeah. stay. But you soon turned that around. Well, we had a tough year. We, we had, uh, they weren't very popular. The Bulls were only in their second year. Uh, to get a, a newspaper clipping, even though we had three newspapers then in Chicago, uh, you had to go back to the fifth page. The Cubbies, the the Bears were one. Yeah. The Cubbies were two. The White Sox were three. Uh, Notre Dame was four. Northwestern was five. And Nutria High School was sixth. And we were, and then the Blackhawks and <laughs> oh, the yeah. White Sox. And then we were way down the line. We couldn't get, we couldn't get coverage. We sold 38 season tickets that first year. <laughs> and. They, well, they I don't know if they do now yeah. or not, but it's still there. I we believe. were there the whole yeah. Yeah. the whole eight years that I was in Chicago, yeah. and you could sit there that that first year and hear the ball bounce as it would come up the floor. One guy, uh, this is a true story. He uh, was a his his daddy owned Jim Beam, and he wanted eight tickets down by the t ten second line, close, and. Uh, he called the ticket agent, and she told me, "Any, yeah, you can have them anytime, any, any place you want. Come in." And he picked the eight seats, and he said, "What time does the game start? Did the game start?" She said, "What time would you like it to start? <laughs> what time can you be there?" Yeah, yeah. And it was, it wasn't quite that way, but it was that way. Yeah, you know, it was like you had to build it. Oh, and then then we. Uh, Got lucky, uh, got rid of Flynn Robinson, who was supposed to be the best point guard, but he didn't, he, he couldn't adapt to our offense. He couldn't remember one play from the next to the next. To, to do anything comprehensive and to pile it up, he couldn't do it. And, and he, he was reportedly the best point guard in the league. And uh, he, he didn't flourish under me. That one night, in about this seventh, eighth, tenth game, uh, he went 0 for 8. And we're walking at big, steep steps down to the locker room in the dungeons. And, uh, and I was behind him. <clears throat> he slurred, but I was adapted enough to understand. I'd been around him enough that I could, I could interpret it, but he says, and he said he was never going to make another shot for me. And I went in and I slammed that door so hard, it, I thought it was coming off the, it was a big metal door about that thick. 
And I said, you got that right, Flynn. You'll never take another shot for me. And uh, I went home and about, I waited till about one o'clock because that's when Klein would get over his, uh, himself. And I said, if, if uh, Flynn's in the locker room in the morning I'll, or tomorrow, we had to play that night, the next night, the same night, and uh, I won't be there, I'll, I'll leave. And he said, you're serious. And I said, I, I really am, Dio. You get rid of him or me. That takes a, a lifted nice team here at Weaver. And yeah. Takes, it takes more sense than I had to do that. Uh, Grady Lewis, who was the manager or the sales manager for uh, Converse Shoes, told me that if I, after I got the job, he came. He said, if you ever get tired of me, you can't do it. He said, we'll save uh, the Denver uh, area for you to be a salesman for Converse. Hmm. So I knew... You had something to fall back on. I had that. I called him and, and said it was still good. So uh, the next day, about 2 o'clock, client called and said, well, I've done it. You've, uh, <clears throat> I've moved uh, Flynn uh, on to Milwaukee. And I said, who, do you, who are we getting? And he said, uh, in those days, he didn't do scouting. He didn't right. know. He said, uh, a kid by the name of Bob Weiss, left-handed kid, he can't play. <laughs> um, and he said, and on top of that, to get rid of their uh, salary, we've got to take that stiff Bob Love. Yeah, he, he turned out okay. Yeah. And uh, so about an hour, I said, good. And he said, well, you got it done, you big boob. I hope you're happy. And I said, I'm happy. And uh, I don't know who they are, but we're better by subtraction than we could be by addition. And uh, the phone rang about an hour later, and it was Bob Weiss, and he was calling from Milwaukee which is a couple hours away. He said, I guess I'm a bull. And I said, have you ever been gored? Because <laughs> 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 you're going to be. And uh, he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, get down here. I'll play it tonight if you're, if you're here. And he said, hey, I think you'll like this Bob Love. He's a pretty good player. So I ended up a kid that I could absolutely not have on my team for Two players that stayed for uh, uh, the whole career. Weiss is still in yeah. the NBA, and yeah. Bob Love was an all-star plenty so, of times. So Jerry Sloan <laughs> came along. Jerry Sloan was there oh, first. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was there. So you built a team well, around. The first thing you do as a coach is you, you uh, recognize the thoroughbred. Yeah. Get your saddle, put it on him, and ride him until he drops. He's and that's one what of the I kind did. type of guy, wasn't he? As a player, still is. I mean, he still is as a coach and as a person, yeah. and a human being, yeah. and as a, uh, everything else that he is. Uh, we had a. I didn't know anything about the NBA. I hadn't seen a game and everything, but we we had a training camp, and we opened it up to anyone that wanted to come, and uh, and I I brought Phil over from Weber to help me in that camp, and we had ninety people report, and uh, we had it at. Uh, at uh, the big uh, dormitory of DePaul, and uh, hell, sometimes players would leave at night. I remember one one kid left uh, in the middle of the night, and he had two pair of uh, floor shims he'd left in the, and I'd always wanted some floor shims, and they were ten and a half. I had a brown pair and a black pair, and I still have them. <laughs> uh, 
Bob Beale, the part-time trainer, he'd worked for the Cleveland, and they, he'd come over and help during this camp. He called Sloan down in Evansville and said, you better get up here, this guy's killing him. And uh, so about the third time, I didn't know Jerry Sloan, uh, but there's this guy up in the stands, and there were a couple of people around him talking to him. And uh, I just kind of figured it was, that's who it was. So after the game, he came down and we talked and he said, could I, could I come and practice with you from now on? And that, that led to a relationship that still goes on. Forever. Yeah. Forever. As tough as there is out there, isn't he? What? He's about as tough as there is, Coach Sloan, right? And as a player too, right? I can tell stories about Sloan that, well, one, one of the neatest stories Pete Maravich was playing for Louisiana, and his daddy was the coach, Press Maravich. And I had a reporter ask me, <clears throat> because uh, Pete was going to, you know, he was, the, he was the frosting on all the cakes. I mean, he, he could do, if you watched his warm-up and his, his routine, he, he was magic with the ball. And I said that, and somehow I uh, said the only thing that he's probably got to adjust to is the defense of the league. It's pretty tough here. It's, I had to adjust a lot because, uh, you know, these, these such tremendous athletes. Well, about a week later, I get this letter from press ripping me up one side and down the other. I've never coached a decent player in my life. How, how could I... Uh, uh, ridicule his son and it wasn't a ridicule and he ripped me up and down one side and I just throw it into the <coughs> trash can and uh, Tom Borwinkle is a big snoop I mean he he ran over to the got the letter and he says oh and he said look this and he gave it to Jerry Jerry said oh that MF MFR the first time we played uh, Atlanta. Uh, Pete comes down in the middle of the ball, and he's almost to the 10-second line from his end of the court. And Jerry comes out like a bull from off the side. And he started down low by his knees, and he raked him all the way up and through his head. And Pete went down like a rock. and. Uh, Jerry stepped over him, leaned down, grabbed his uniform, lifted him up like that, and dropped him, and then said something to him. And of course, they they gave him a technical. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. Well, he, uh, and I said, Jerry, my hell, right out there in front of everybody, you you could have been subtle. You could have taken him into the corner or something. He said, No, no, no. You talk about my coach that way. I said, well, What did you tell him? He said. I own you. <laughs> he said, I own you. And if you want to talk to him about it, whenever we played Atlanta, Sloanitis set in. Pete got one game, he got two baskets. Another game, he had two free throws. And four games, he didn't play. He was always yeah. looking over his shoulder at coach. No, he was looking, he was in his locker room hiding. Yeah. <coughs> he didn't want any part of Sloan. That's the kind of player and person he was. He coached that way here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, he went out that way as a coach here. We talked a little bit about that well, a couple years ago. I don't like the way he went out. But, yeah. And I've, I've, <clears throat> You've told you know, him. We've, we've had a disagreement on that here and there because he's – I remember one time we were playing the uh, uh, Wilt. We are playing Philadelphia. Jerry always knew where the officials were. This is why three officials coming in kind of hurt him a little bit because he could tell he had the position of the, and if the official was over here, he always grabbed the kids, the guy's uniform on the opposite side. And then he would, like, especially coming down the court and the guy's head was turned, he would get him and take a charge and get the ball back. Well, he did that on Wilt and they called a, they called a foul on Wilt. Wilt got got kind of mad about it, and uh, Jerry didn't let it didn't let it rest. About five plays later down the court, he did the same thing, and Wilt just stood there and put one foot in front of him and the other, and just braced himself. And here's here's Jerry tugging on that uniform like a little carrier, <laughs> <laughs> and Wilt reached out and poked him in the chest, and Jerry just came up. Fighting now, he's he's gonna he's yeah, WWFRCs or whatever they are. <laughs> <laughs> he's circling Wilt. <laughs> you know, Wilt's looking down at him like a little fox terrier, <laughs> and he says, and so Jerry's yapping, and uh, I I said I asked Tom what did he say, and he said he said, hey big boy, they make a box big enough for you, <laughs> 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 and they gave Jerry a technical. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he. He would have fought him, uh, and it wouldn't have it would have it wouldn't have mattered. And uh, one time we were playing uh, in we were playing Madison against Milwaukee, and we were winning the game. We had to play uh, uh, two days later in Omaha, uh, playing uh, uh, Kansas City, and. Jabbar came out from behind a screen and hit Jerry with his knee and and broke two or three, cracked two or three ribs. We we took the bus back to the airport to catch the plane to go to Omaha, and the team doctor came out and told Jerry that he'd better. Uh, we were we had to win two of the four games. We won the Atlantic. I mean, won the uh, the game against Milwaukee. So we had to win. Uh, just one of the next two, and uh, we were playing Oscar at. Uh, he was playing for Cincinnati at the time. And they were they were the Oscar Robertson. Oscar Robertson. Oscar Robertson. And uh, Jerry said, "They said, uh, no, I'm going. It's my team. I gotta I gotta be with him." So we had a day off in between. We we took the, we got on the plane and went to Omaha. And had the day off. That was the Omaha Kings at the time. They were Omaha and uh, Kansas City. Omaha, Kansas City. Yeah. Omaha, Omaha, Kansas City Kings. Yeah. They were playing some. Yeah, then they, moved, they later moved to Sacramento. Yeah. But uh, 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 I didn't plan on Jerry playing the, that night. I get to the uh, dressing room early, like you know, usually. And Chet Walker and uh, uh, Bobby Weiss were helping Sloan get his jersey on. And he couldn't lift his arm, and they finally got it on. Jerry came up before the game, and he said, Coach, in all this time we've been together, 
I've never said or suggested anything to you. He said, but I want to start tonight. I said, well, hell, Jerry, you, you, you can't. You're, you're hurt. He said, and tears started coming down his eyes. This is the truth. It's my team. And he breaks down a little bit. It's my team out there. And if you, if you respect me, you'll start me. So I started him. And he did pretty good. We are going along and we're, uh, we're, we're down three at halftime. And Jerry, just before we take the floor, it was one of those scoreboards that had the little dots on it. It's not like the modern ones now. It had little, little dots would do the numbers. And uh, he said, come on, guys, we've been down 30 before. We've been down 30. And I think, hell, shit, I can't read that either. And uh, we're down three. And I said, Jerry, we're down three. He says, oh, well, we can do it then. <laughs> and we won. And that put us in the playoffs. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, but he was not going to miss that game, and I was not going to stand in his way of missing it, even though in my heart I knew it, was, uh, it wasn't good to – to, he could have gotten hurt a lot more and it had been out of the playoffs, but you don't you just don't hold a guy like Jerry back. You just don't do it. And I saw that for eight years. I saw, I saw that every day. And you know, we'd go to a go to banquets and he would say, Right now the uh, before I step on the floor, my team is ahead seventeen to nothing. And he used to explain it. He said, I'm going to hold my opponent five points below his average. I'm going to take three charges during a game. I'm going to take more than that, but I'll get three of them. And, that's, and he has it dictated into points. He said, I'm going to pick up four loose balls that a lot of players in the league don't want, but I'm going to get them. And then I'm going to, if I'm lucky enough, I'm going to get my 16-point average. But by what I do, other than offense, uh, equates to 17 points. So we start the game seven, up 17. 17. We had 17 and nothing. And you know what? You were. were. With that team, that team won uh, of, the, of the teams below 500, we were like in that 90%. The teams below, above 500, the Bostons and the... Uh, Lakers and the, and the really good teams, we, we finish about 47% uh, against them. Uh, but it was always a battle. And I don't, I don't think, there was only one time that I felt like I didn't get the full effort out of that team. Wow. Yeah. Out of, you know, a thousand games a year. 80 <coughs> games in the league, 10 in the playoffs, 10 exhibition games. Yeah. You, you face, you face someone uh, 10 years. Sure. Yeah, Remarkable. that's why I get a kick out of all these scouts today. They're over there telling the player how to play. I'm going to tell Jerry Sloan how to play Jerry West. You know what the hell? He's only played him six times a year for ten years, and I'm and a little old fart like me is going to tell him how to how to play him. You know, it's, it's a, it, it, we'd go to those banquets and they'd say, always say, I'd say, who's your best? Who's the best player you played against? And Jerry would say. When I come home after playing West, my feet hurt. He said, when I come home from playing Elgin Baylor, my body hurts. 
He said, when I come home from playing uh, Walt Frazier, I heard all over. He thought Walt Frazier was the best player, the best, best NBA guard. Mm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. We're going to get into all the places you coach, but I, I think it's important that we let him talk a little bit about how he formed his philosophy. And we, we, yeah. we, we had lunch earlier, and you talked a little bit about meeting one of your heroes, and I, I think that's a pretty significant because it sets you on a tone of how you, how you developed your offense, your coaching philosophy and your offensive philosophy. See, I didn't play high school ball. I got cut my senior year. Affected me forever. Still does. Uh, <laughs> the only thing is that the guy that cut me, when I was in my second year here at Weber, he called me and asked me if I could give his son a scholarship, if I'd let him come out for the team. So I did. And... Uh, but then we became we became pretty close after, but it affected. So I wanted, I loved athletics. My dad liked it. My brother was a uh, all he won all state. He was as a sophomore. My brother uh, Jordan won uh, uh, the state championship in basketball, football, and they played for they played prize for the championship. And he was a sophomore and played all of them. He was recruited highly. Uh, uh, by most colleges, he ended up coming to Utah State with me because I was there, and he was the starting quarterback as a as a freshman, and then he blew out his knee, and didn't play uh, uh, football anymore after that. But uh, we we had athletics. My dad loved to play basketball, and uh, when it when I got cut, it it really hurt. Uh, but I said, I'm, I'm going to do something. Uh, and so I, Utah State had a, a coaching clinic every summer, and they would bring people in. Oh, they, they brought Tom, uh, the guy from LaSalle. They had them all, all of the good ones, and it, for a week. Fred Taylor, uh, after he'd won three champ the two championships, and that, and I read my library of uh, basketball books had half filled this room, and I read every one of them. I went to every clinic I could. I, I, I made a point to go to three clinics a summer, no matter where I, where I was living or how far I had to drive to get there. And I, uh, and then when I got to Utah State, uh, all of the athletes in our classes now they were senior that they were they were getting the jobs and uh, so I said well I've got to get a letter in something at Utah State so we had a methods of wrestling in PE and and uh, Doc Swenson had a, a, a deal in his program you could challenge the weight uh, class and if you beat him you were on the team so I went over and beat the 147 guy. So I was on the wrestling team. I got my letter in wrestling. So, uh, but it, I don't, I don't, I didn't put it on my resume too much when I was applying for basketball, yeah. <laughs> basketball jobs. But I was, I was on the wrestling team. And, uh, uh, but the most basketball I learned was my first year at Grace, Idaho. I was a seventh grade teacher that I was assistant in football and basketball and the head baseball coach at the high school and the head bas basketball coach over there 
had to be to every practice, all of his games. And as he set up his whole deal from player attitude to player discipline to offense to defense to the whole thing, I was not out, 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 not critical at verbally, but I put it in my bank, my head. If, if, if I ever got to be a coach, I would not do it this way or that way. And there were two, uh, there was one other coach that coached at Utah State that I watched every one of his practices and learned more on not how to do things. And uh, I read every book and how, how many times, uh, uh, Derek, did we talk today about the number of napkins that we've written on? Thousands. Thousands. Thousands, thousands of napkins, thousands of hours of sitting around, shit, talk, talk basketball, talk plays, listen, uh, make yourself better every day. And uh, uh, I, I don't know if it became a, an obsession, but still I got to pick up a basketball and put it in my arm and trot off to work and pretend I was working, you know, pretend I was making a living. Absolutely. You told us a story about Vince Lombardi, which people might find interesting to get the connection of a, an amazing legend on the football side, but how that affected you as a coach as well. Because coaching is coaching, right? There's oh. a mentality and a mindset. It, it is. It's, a, the, it's the greatest relationship between, uh, you know, two people. I used to say between two men. Then when I started, when Title IX came out, and now that this Me Too movement, hell, I'm afraid, I'm afraid what, to, what to tell anyone. The stuff that, I said, today. <laughs> stuff that I said 20 years ago would uh, put me up there with Kavanaugh. You, know? <laughs> you don't strike me as a guy that tweeted a lot. So your social media profile... No, no, long. I don't. This thing here sitting right in front of me makes me nervous. I've got my own phone right here. Uh, and I got it's, a it. flip it's a flip phone, phone, but I haven't learned to use it yet. Uh, Janice said, why don't you answer it? I said, well, it might be someone on the other end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, back to Lombardi. I'd already had. Now I'm coaching in the Bulls, and we, this offense, my philosophy, your philosophy, starts when you. Well, I used to call it turning point. I wanted someone to write a book like that. There's a guy now that has a turning point in in politics. Yeah. You know, to get people away. There, there comes a time. In every professional's life, I, be, I believe this, where you sit back and as you, and if you're, I don't know if you're analyzing or it comes out of the blue or something, but almost all of a sudden it hits you, the, the turning point. Hell, I belong here. I, I, and I know when it happened to me. We lost a close game when I cut all those kids at Grace. And I had 10 sophomores, one junior, one senior, we lost it by one basket to go to the state. And into the dressing room, there were some stairs, and I sat on the set of stairs, and I had, I was crying. I had tears in my eyes, and you know, I said, "Damn, we just about made this with a bunch of ten sophomores and a junior and a senior, and we were right there, and this is where I belong." And that turn, that was my turning point. That team came back and won a state championship. Well, no, I came back. You came back. I, I didn't. I didn't come back. I I realized, this is this is what I was meant for, 
not not to pound on your chest or anything, but there was that one little click that, damn, this 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 is should be it, and so we had to. A philosophy, and I'd, I'd read, oh hell, I, I don't know how many times that I read that book about Jerry Kramer and the block, the famous block in the 10 below, when they beat, uh, when Green Bay beat uh, Dallas. And uh, Jerry Kramer made that block and Bart Starr went over it. And he, and he wrote about that block. And then Vince Lombardi had, had got a book out, Run to Daylight. And I, I used, I would read that every day at, Training camp, both of those books, and listen to Neil Diamond sing, and uh, in that book, he talked about. I'm talking about Vince now. He talked about how his coach in college, he was a tackle, and, it, and invariably that his his duty block was to block that end in, and he couldn't get out there, and he said if he ever would ever coach again. He wouldn't ask a player to do something impossible. He said it was impossible for me to get outside and block him in so the runner could go on the outside. He said, I decided then that I was going to area block. I was going to tell, if I ever got to coach, he said, I, would, I want my players to block. And then he put Paul Horning a yard, a yard and a half back. In the old days, it was the Texas, you know, a bud, a bud uh, uh, in Oklahoma, where the, you were like three yards from the line, and the quarterback half the time couldn't get over there. It was fast through the hole, and sometimes there wasn't a hole there, but you went anyway. So his philosophy, run to daylight, just made so much sense to me. Why force yourself where you don't need to go? And so he'd put, it was up to Paul Horning to read the hole, those players to block any way they want, and for him to read. And so that's what I incorporated in our offense, run to daylight. And I told him that when I met him. You met him where? Well, I, he, it was the first year that he, he gave up coaching. And the Packers were playing uh, the Bears, and they were playing in the old uh, Cubs Stadium, Wrigley Field. And he, uh, I went down, and I was standing on the, on the railing, and the press box was right behind me, and I looked over, and, and Vince Lombardi was there. That hat... Perfect moleskin coat, pants you could cut bread on on the pleats of his shoes. I mean, Vince Lombardi. Holy shit. I said, how? And I looked at him, and then I looked at him, and I didn't know what I felt like I'm that tall. Vince Lombardi. And I, I said, do you miss it? And he said, every day. And he said, if I ever got back in it, I'd really like to get that, that Sloan kid that plays for you. And I thought, wow, he knows Jerry Sloan. And through Jerry Sloan, he knows me. Vince Lombardi knows me. And so I, I said, you know, you're an inspiration. I did. I said, you're an inspiration to me. My whole offense is run off of your philosophy is run to daylight. He said, oh, that's good. And then it was, you know. <laughs> And the creativity and your your uh, philosophy about basketball transcended from football. The same philosophy of let the players create, teach them the proper principles, let them create based on what they see and what's available to them. Just don't get in the way of their creative ability. Create situations on the floor where they can enjoy their God-given talent. And don't throttle them with details. 
Don't throttle them too much. You know, let let the these players are physical genius. You know that I that's the one thing that I I said the first time I looked at uh, those NBA players, but they're no different than the ones that I saw last night. The NBA I coached. Someone said, "Well, how do you coach in the NBA?" And I said the same as I did in the junior high. When a kid moves from the junior uh, from the grade school to the junior high, he's he's uptight. He's setting into a new situation, and he's uptight. And as a coach, I like to I like to capture that. And I don't care if he moves from high school to the junior college, or from the high school to a college, or from the college to the pros. They're uptight. You were when you went from high school to the school. You were. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I have the thing that I try to capture that. Uh, I don't want to be a tyrant, but I don't want to smile too much either. I said, I'd usually like to smile about November, but just show your teeth. You know, don't, uh, and always have the philosophy that I'll be what the players make me or want me to be. If they want me to be a policeman, I can do that. If they want me to be a fighter, I can do that. Uh, I tell them right off the bat that uh, I won't burp you. If you're going to be a baby, I won't burp you. But I love your talent. You people, you, you're such geniuses physically. And I won't do anything to embarrass you. You'll never see your name in the paper because of me. And I expect the same of you. And our relationship now, you may not know it, but it, it may may turn it from fear into eventually to respect, into f friendship and into love. And I, I, have, I have so many players that I love and that love me back.